The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. Today our guest is Brent Gleason. He's a passionate entrepreneur and a Navy SEAL combat veteran. He's also the co-founder and chief marketing officer at Internet Marketing, Inc., which is one of the fastest-growing digital marketing agencies in the country. In fact, IMI just recently earned the ranking of number 185 on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest-growing private companies in the country and number 11 on the San Diego Business Journal's top 100 fastest-growing private companies. Brent is a contributor to Forbes magazine, and he's made various TV appearances, including NBC's reality super show, Stars Earn Stripes, where he helped his partner, Olympic gold medalist Peekaboo Street, earn $50,000 for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce's Hire Our Heroes program. Gleason also appeared on a Discovery Channel series and has served as a leadership, entrepreneurial, Internet marketing, and military expert on many news shows. Welcome to the show today, so first, congratulations on on the successful rankings that you had on Inc magazines. I mean it, it as an entrepreneur myself, I know how hard you have to work to do to achieve that kind of growth. so congratulations on that thank you we've been we've been very blessed, and I think it's just a you know I can attribute that to the amazing talent and the awesome team that we have at internet marketing Inc. They're the ones who deserve the credit. Yeah, it, it it comes back to the team, and and I know you know a lot about that, uh, with, you know, with your Navy SEAL experience as well. Now, when you speak and you write, you apply many of the lessons that you learned on the battlefield to business success. And as we just talked about, you've achieved this number 185 ranking on Inc.'s fastest growing companies. And I think many of us can relate that whenever you are leading a company that is fast growing and then there's all kinds of changes. I had one person say to me, one fast growth company say to me, you know, as soon as we make our business plan, it's outdated. So there's a lot of chaos. Things are changing constantly, just as I'm sure it is in combat. So can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, absolutely, I, and I, you know, I write about this topic and try to share um, some of the successes, but mostly the, the mistakes and failures <laughs> that my business partner mm-hmm. and I have made along the way that most entrepreneurs can, you know, can relate to, and hopefully share those uh, those stories so that you know other new young entrepreneurs can avoid the pitfalls when and when and uh, where possible. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I always reflect back to you know the, my, my time in combat in Iraq and in Northern Africa with SEAL Team Five, but. It, you know, it is a it's a chaotic new uh, economic uh, time that we live in. So it's not just about being an entrepreneur and having a fast growing company, but we also live in a, a new economy, uh, a post nine eleven world where uh, things are changing constantly. The economy is different, um, but my company also happens to be in an industry in and of itself that changes constantly. Absolutely. So you know, I always say if you're in any business, if you're doing if you're doing business the same way you were five years ago, you're irrelevant. Um, and to your point about the business plan, you know, I believe in the one-page business plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> five five-year plans are good to have, but at the same time, most of that you're going to spend a lot of time developing plans and 
financial protections that are probably not even going to be relevant in products and services. We change the way that we offer our products and services, gosh, at least at least little tweaks probably once a quarter, uh, just, just to stay relevant and ahead of the curve in the, in the digital marketing space. Sure. You know, and I was going to ask you more about the one-page business plan a little bit later in the show, but while we're talking about it, let's just go ahead and, and address that now. One-page business plan, that, that probably sounds foreign to what most business owners have been taught or what they've been read because you think of these huge uh, multi-page documents that you know nobody wants to, to try to undertake. So what, what do you see as the key ingredients? What needs to be on that one-page business plan? The key ingredients, and my ideal one-page business plan is, it's, you know, it, it, I kind of break it into two parts. So it might be two pages sometimes. But <laughs> um, from 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 a high level, I like to look at, uh, you know, at, at from a year a yearly perspective. For example, we just completed our 2013 planning. So you're looking from an annual perspective. Obviously, your high-level revenue and profitability goals. Where do we want to be? Um, and I like to do it from, you know, looking at with our executive team and including them in that process. I think it's I think it's a key element to strategic planning for all growing businesses for the strategic plan not just to come from, you know, the C suite uh and be given to everyone else to say, hey, we need to fulfill this plan. I think it's important to have all of your executives and directors and, you know, and managers involved in defining what winning looks like at the end of that year plan. So it's great that we want to be at, you know, twenty five million dollars in revenue or you know, 15% net margin, whatever it is, well, what does that look like? What does it feel like, taste like, smell like? What's the culture going to be like? What's the team going to be like? Are we going to have new team members? Is it going to be, are we going to have the same products and services? So, because people need to really feel engaged in the strategic planning process. And, you know, one of our core values, our second core value is that everyone has a voice. So, everybody needs to be involved and understand that their, um, you know, that their thoughts and feedback uh, have an impact on where the company is headed and, and how we fulfill our mission and vision. Um, so that said, with the with the one-page plan, you're, you're going to have your high-level financial goals. You're going to have your top five, four or five priorities. Um, you're going to also list on there, you know, a BHAG or your big, you know, audacious goal. What is that, you know, what, where is the company going to be in five years? Well, we want to be the leading integrated digital marketing agency in the country in five years. Mm-hmm. So that's our sort of top far-reaching goal. But that's great. Okay, put that aside. How are we going to get there in small, successive wins? Um, so break that down into smaller goals. So let's look at the year. But then the second part of the one-page plan is let's look at the quarter. <laughs> let's, mm-hmm. let's look at Q1. Really? How are we going to break? How are we going to break down those top four or five priorities and achieve those step by step uh, on a quarterly basis? So if we want to achieve a certain revenue and profitability goal, well, what do we need to do in Q1? to get the ball rolling. So you break that down into quarterly goals, revisit that in the middle of the quarter, at the end of the quarter, while you're looking at, at uh, the plan for Q2. And again, it's, it, what we've noticed is it's going to change. It's going to change a little bit. What you accomplish in Q1 might affect what you're accomplishing in Q2, but as we go through the year, you know, some, the, the slight direction might change. Technology might change. Or the way we yeah. offer certain products might change. I mean, we, the way that we offer social media and search engine optimization is completely different than it was in Q3 and Q4 last year. Right. So it's, it's constantly changing. Just like just like in combat, plan, battle planning is great. Contingency planning is even more important. Not one, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a quote that says, you know, any strategic battle plan doesn't pass first contact with the enemy. It, it right. constantly changes. So 
Yeah, you you were you were you, and you have many examples uh, that, that I know that you've used uh, from from your time on the on in battle to talk about that. For example, uh, one of them I remember was when you were in a gunfight, your first close quarters gunfight, and and one of the people was wounded, and and you know you had to fall back into a, a different plan, but you did that successfully. Well, yeah, and, and it's it, it's one of those situations where. When we did what we call capture or kill missions, a lot of them are very the the UBL operation, the the operation to capture or kill Osama bin Laden. I don't know how that turned out, but it was a very standard um, practice on how we, we would take down a target. Typically, there'd be a ground force, uh, you know, breaching a door on the bottom floor. There'd be a uh, a roof team that would faster up onto the roof and breach the door at the top, and we'd deconflict in the middle, or we would um, assault the building from the ground floor with an explosive breach and clear from the ground floor up to the second or third floor. Most of the houses in Iraq and Afghanistan are multi-leveled. Right. Um, so on that particular operation, our first close quarters gunfight, uh, it, <laughs> I think the plan changed three or four times. In, about, in a matter of about, typically it took us about two minutes to clear a target. Wow. The time that we entered the yard, set the breaching charge, we'd have the target cleared in about two minutes. And the plan changed about three or four times within two minutes. The first... Um, first contingency we had to fall back on was the fact that the explosive breach didn't blow the door completely. There was, we didn't realize there was another metal wrought iron gated door behind ah. the first door. So the explosive charge, we only used half of the charge that we normally would because we, for whatever, for whatever reason, we also wanted to be careful too. If you're going to use an explosive breach, you have to keep in mind that there's usually women and children on all these yeah. targets as well. So there's civilians. So if you blow too big and you can injure innocent people inside too. Right. So we immediately had to go fall back on the contingency of uh, go, switching to a manual breach, meaning, okay, the explosive charge didn't go, now we have to get off the quickie saw and cut all this metal away. Well, you immediately lose the element of surprise <laughs> when that happens. So when everybody knows that, you know, there's obviously a special operations team at their door, um, it gets them time to arm themselves and set up barricaded positions in the house. And so by the time we did enter, um, the the point the point team broke off to the right, secured one of the individuals or high-value targets, HPTs, that we were going after in the front room. Um, they had been shooting at us through the living room glass window while we were setting the breaching charge and trying to uh, manually uh, get through the, the metal door with the quickie saw. So we were, had been returning fire through the through the window as well. And then we the next immediate path and threat was the uh, a, a winding staircase in the foyer that goes up to the second floor balcony. So we had a team break off. We started up the stairs, and then we got in a gunfight with um, two, two individuals with AK-47s from about 10 feet away on the second floor balcony shooting down at us. So you're in about a 10, 12-foot gunfight, and they're on fully automatic AK-47s. And uh, the third, I think it was the third or fourth guy in the, in the train, we call it, Going up the stairs, got hit. He went down, and but then he he then he popped back up. He got hit in the helmet, um, which did injure him, but didn't obviously kill him. Um, and then he got back up, so nobody knew what <laughs> what the hell happened. Because all of a sudden he went down, and then he got back up. So um, immediately we changed plan again. We uh, we collapsed back down the stairs and threw two two, two grenades up over the second floor balcony. Um, oftentimes when we're on a hot target and fires are, uh, shots are being fired, we'll use either uh, flashbang grenades or frag grenades to 
clear room before we enter it, or in that case, we throw them up over the balcony um, uh, to clear that space. Then we, you know, went up to the second floor and continued to clear the rest of the building and eventually um, eliminated those targets, we'll say. But it's just one of those situations where you know, a lot of times we'd hit a target, the explosive breach goes perfectly, we flood the house, take the targets, take the people alive, even if there's a gunfight, and it goes smoothly. But typically most combat operations go smoothly, ever. Right. <laughs> so that's why, like I said, contingency planning is even more important than the original plan because most likely you're going to be falling back to plan B, C, D. Yeah, so and so the, the contingency plan is, as you say, more important than the original plan and the ability to function uh, in, in a chaotic environment to where that almost becomes, uh, even though every situation is different, it still becomes almost second nature that you, you, you feel a certain level of comfort operating in chaos. Uh, very important, uh, not only on the battlefield, but whenever you're trying to lead a fast-growth company like that, which leads right into the next thing. All of this happened within, I mean, it took you longer to describe it than it happened in real time. You know, this all <laughs> happened, uh, well, it all happened in two minutes, as you said, and so the decision-making that goes on during that time, you know, just the, the ability that you honed to think quickly on your feet and to make those decisions as fast as that, Certainly, that has applications for a fast-growth company, too. Well, ab absolutely, and in a situation like that, too, and it is what, what is true in special operations is, you know, philosophy I call emergent leadership. It's, I didn't coin that term, but um, where, you know, SEALs, for example, are taught to be free thinkers, you know, and it's even in the creed. If, you know, when, if I'm the, you know, there's obviously, there's still, even though it's a relatively flat organization, everybody in the platoon from the lowest-ranking person to the highest-ranking person has their own, on a combat operation, has their own specific areas of responsibility that they are in charge of. But you're also taught, obviously, if, you know, if your team leader goes down, well, guess what? You're in charge now. Right. So, and it's also, you know, you're not always going to be having in, in a position where you're going to be getting directive from your platoon chief or your platoon lieutenant, whomever it is, so you need to be making calls. In that situation, the point man made the call to come back down the stairs. Yeah. Not the platoon chief who's usually directing traffic within the house when we're in a close quarters combat mission. And just like in an organization, when we're moving quickly, we're training our directors and our managing director and our department heads to, you know, basically, you know, the executive team, likes, we like to set boundaries, but within those boundaries, we give our directors autonomy to run their departments like a small business. So mm -hmm. here's your boundaries, here's your goals, innovate, creative on how you want to get to those goals. Right. So I think that's critical, especially in a fast-growing fast organization, that, you know, the leadership has to uh, really master the art of delegation, <laughs> which is which can be tough, a tough mm -hmm. thing to learn. Because yes, you really have to trust, you have to really trust the individuals who are doing so. But, you know, with good leadership and, uh, you know, and with recruiting and hiring the right people, you, you know, you know that they're going to get it done and you might have to, you know, reassess and, and, and you know, make some shifts along the way. But, giving them that autonomy is going to make them empowered. Like I said before, you've already engaged them in a strategic planning process so they, they feel ownership um, of where the company's headed and they understand their exact role with, you know, within the company and how they're contributing to the ultimate success. So when they, when they feel that ownership and they feel uh, empowered um, by being given boundaries, but within those boundaries they have the autonomy to, to innovate, then, you know, you're setting everybody up for success. You talk sometimes about the time when you were actually captured by the enemy. What did you learn from that experience in terms of, of business? 
<laughs> it's funny. I uh, I, I was um, at the Inc. 500 conference and awards ceremony, and I actually used that opportunity to equate that uh, situation to making sure you always keep your uh, keep your maintain some liquidity within your organization. Um, I mean, from that, I'll, I'll I'll bring that full circle here in a second. But um, you know, from that experience, obviously, you you learn to you know you learn to take things uh, as they come and maintain a, you know clear clear head and maintain focused on the objective. The objective in that situation is how the hell do I get out of the situation? <laughs> and how do I get my how do I get my team out of the situation? In this case, it was just two of us. Um, but you know. That experience and a lot of other experiences I've had and why I think also that veterans are so well-suited for entrepreneurship is because you handle stress and difficult challenging situations in such a different way, no offense, than most than many civilians do who don't have that life experience behind them. Right. Um, you Because, you know, you're not in a life-or-death situation. You understand that, yes, there are going to be obstacles. This is the cost of doing business. If you want to be an entrepreneur, well, it's not all, hey, I have more free time. I can do this and do whatever I want. Now, chances are you're going to be working a lot more than you yeah. would if you were <laughs> One of the biggest for someone else. Yeah, exactly. But you, but you own the situation. I mean, it's, it's empowering. It's, uh, it's exhilarating and exciting. But, you know, but there's going to be many, many obstacles that come along the way. And chances are the bigger your business gets, the more obstacles there will be, not less. Right. You, know, you get to a certain level, you know, first you're a budding entrepreneur, then the team grows and all of a sudden you're a manager and a leader and mm-hmm. someone who's supposed to inspire and you know and, and lead a team and that that gives you you spend realize you spend most of your time managing and leading um than you do did in the past where you're kind of got you wearing all the different hats and doing a lot of the day to day work. Um and that's an important skill to embrace and to, to learn. But um I think the biggest thing you take away from these combat experiences is, is how to manage stress and how to how to navigate with a clear head through all the many different obstacles that you're going to face along the way. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And then one of the other things, you've actually alluded to it through all of the different things you've talked about so far, but one of the other um, really important lessons that you learned, uh, again, it was with uh, in another one of the, the gunfights that you were involved in, and that was the ability to react and adapt um, and you you actually do a whole talk on that, you know, the master mastering the art of the quick change. Talk to us about that piece a little bit. Well, I think you know, there's you know, in, in business, just like when you know, it's internet marketing because we keep growing. You know, we my partner and I have different areas of responsibility within the company, but together we have to essentially co-lead the organization, and we have to make decisions quickly on the fly a lot of the time. And I think it's important to understand. And where sometimes people fall short, as and I did in the past as well, and probably still do sometimes, is understanding when you need to make a decision, when it's okay to decide not to make a decision. Um, and you know, there's, there's it kind of breaks down into four decision-making methodologies. You know, one is command, where you're just you're making the decision. This is my call. I'm making it, and we got to we got to move. You know, then there's consultative, where you're going to gather the team up and say, hey, I'm still making the decision. I need to make this decision ASAP, but I want your input because we need to, you know, I value your opinion. You guys are the experts. Let's 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 make this happen. Then, of course, there's consensus, which is more of a democratic vote type process. And then convenience is, you know, the, the fourth one, which is really complete delegation. And that's okay, too. When you have enough on your plate, my CFO might come to me with, like, you know, a few things that she wants to make a decision on. I say, look, you make that decision. 
I've got these decisions to make over here. I trust mm-hmm. you. You make the call. Um, and so it, it, it's the same type of situation in combat, really. You have, you know, like I said, the SEAL teams are a relatively far organization, but in a SEAL platoon of 15, and you still have your uh, platoon commander, who's usually a rank of lieutenant, and a, a, second, a second platoon commander, who's also an officer. You have got your platoon chief, who's usually the most senior enlisted, um, and your leading petty officer, who's below him, and then the, the enlisted, you know, about 10 or 12 enlisted guys below, below them. Um, who are typically the, you know, what we call the, the, the shooters or the main soldiers in a, in a SEAL platoon. Um, in the, in the, the gunfight that you're talking about, we, I also equate this to, um, having the right intelligence and acting on and ha- how to make a quick change decision when you have bad information. And in this situation, the, we were working uh, in conjunction with the CIA. Um, they would uh, help us gather the human intelligence on the target, develop the, the target package, and then we would put our mission plan together. And human intelligence, in simple terms, is for developing, you know, just individual assets within the area who can tell us where the bad guys are. So you can sure. see where that mi- you can see where that might be really fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And how, how do we vet these sources? How do we really, really vet the intelligence? The agency is really good at that, but it's not foolproof. So in this situation, we, um, you know, the, the the breaching team breached the door, and um, you know the point man and the second man in the train enter, and immediately the the, the high value target that we're going after, it turned out to be him, ended up charging the door. For what, I mean, surprisingly, <laughs> <laughs> after we blow his door off at three o'clock in the morning, but charging the door, um, the team immediately engages him, so we immediately lose the ability to capture him alive, which we wanted to do. Um, so they engage him; he's down. Bullets fly through him, past him, and hit uh, his wife. So we have a civilian casualty. She didn't die. But, you know, immediately you have one EKIA enemy killed in action and one civilian casualty that needs to be treated. And we treat all civilians, obviously, that are injured on target. We immediately start treating them and call for a medevac. Uh, and then the target didn't look anything like the blueprints that we have. Instead of it being a traditional house with your foyer, your living room, kitchen, bedrooms, it was a big open courtyard with with two levels and multiple open doors. And in a close quarters combat situation, open doors and open threat. And oh, we didn't absolutely. have enough, we didn't have enough, we didn't have enough people to immediately flood the target and address all of these open threats. Um, and then there was other bad guys on target, so we immediately got spreads in and had to adapt. And frankly, not in best in a best practices kind of way. Um, so, you know, we, and I remember I, I peeled off and had to essentially, you never want to enter a room alone, um, but you also, uh, but you also have to address the open thread of an open door, especially when you know there's, uh, you know, bad guys in there. So I found myself essentially standing in what we call the fatal funnel of an open door, not going in alone, but also standing in the doorway, <laughs> and I had to engage targets from the doorway, um, you know, instead of a traditional uh, situation where at least two of us would enter the room and, and right. clear, the, clear the room that way. So it's just one of those situations where we immediately, I mean, it's, and it takes, and the key to that is communication. It's the same thing that when I talk about leadership in, in business, especially in sort of a chaotic entrepreneurial environment or a fast-paced, uh, you know, high-growth company, communication is essential. Because when the communication breaks down, you know, the machine breaks down, and we can't, uh, you know, you can't function without it. So as long as you're clearly communicating from the top down and from the bottom up, uh, your your team is much more well-equipped to make quick decisions and uh, and keep things moving forward without 
everything's falling apart. Yeah, and obviously in your company you are practicing these things, and uh, you you never want to say somebody has them perfected because, of course, everything's always evolving. But you've certainly you're practicing those, and and that's why you've experienced almost 1,900 percent growth uh, in in the last three years, and uh, doing a lot of things right. So congratulations again on your success with your business, and thank you very much for your service, uh, your military Great. service. Uh, very uh, gracious, very very grateful for that, and as I'm sure our listeners are too. Brent, if someone would like to get in touch with you to perhaps use your company's IMI services or to just talk with you further, how would they do that? Uh, I think the best way is uh, email. Uh, my email is just Brent, which is B-R-E-N-T, at internetmarketinginc.com, and the website is www.internetmarketinginc.com. Um, so that's the best way to, to get in touch with me, and we'd love to you know, hear from anybody if anybody has any questions about uh, the business or any of the things that we've been discussing. Yes, and uh, again, you know, you, you have a lot of media appearances, and there's a lot out there about you on the Internet. So if you forget the website, you can always just Google Brent Gleason, and a lot of stuff comes up. So <laughs> thank you so much for your time today, Brent. Uh, we're all media. Pleasure. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.